I want to turn to First Chronicles 4, verse 9. We have been in this series on experiencing the life-changing power of prayer, and then I've taken a detour and started another series in which we have been looking at the prayer of Jabez. And while you find that, First Chronicles 4 and, and 9, it's on the screen. I just want to welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad you're here. Just delighted you've come. At the end of the service, I always like to meet our first-time guests in the conference room right where I'm pointing out here. If you were to go out these doors, take a hard left, go down that hall, right over there. I'm usually there in about 10 minutes after the service. There they go. They're showing you. You just walk right out the door, making it easy for you. Take a left, go right down that hall. There's a conference room there. There we go. And I will meet you there in just a few minutes after the service. I want to get to know you. But let's get into the word of the Lord. I want to do some, uh, I'm going to drop down and do some, what I feel like is impactful teaching today. As I said, I've taken a detour into the prayer of Jabez, this series of prayer. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers and his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. We spent two weeks exploring that passage. And then Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, which in the Hebrew means bless, bless me. I want blessing to follow blessing. Because as I've said, you can be blessed and the next day have your life fall apart. Jabez said, I don't want that to happen. I want to be blessed, blessed. I want to be blessed today and blessed tomorrow. And he said, I want you to enlarge my territory, which means my space. And I talked about that as well. The measure of authority you have been given you have a certain measure of authority that can be increased. You don't have to live with the limitations of the authority you have right now, whether that's in finance or your relationships. As I pointed out, if you're tired of reaching the same point in life and getting knocked back down, time after time, what you need is increased authority. Amen. And that's what Jabez was praying. But then he said that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And so I want us to speak again from this subject, the power of prayer to change your space, that measure of authority that we, I just mentioned a moment ago, your territory. There's some things you need to know to be able to keep that. If God answers that prayer and increases your authority, doesn't mean you're going to hang on to it unless you understand some of the things I'm getting ready to discuss right now. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today because what I'm about to discuss, I think affects every one of your children. I want to first of all, thank you for the incredible presence of the Lord that swept through here a minute ago that I still feel and the river is still flowing. And I'm grateful for that. And I ask that you would let your anointing come and that you would cause your word to be given in such a way, broken down, exegeted, in such a way that we can receive it and live from it in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. In the prayer that Jabez prayed, he actually asked God for five specific things. Two of them I've discussed. One, that you would bless, bless me. Second, that you would increase my territory. And now we come to the other three. Jabez prayed that God's hand would be with him. Fourthly, he also prayed that God would keep him from evil. And fifthly, he prayed that God would keep him from causing pain to others. 
Those are extraordinary requests, extraordinary. Most people would not go that far in their prayer. They would be content to just be blessed. And then maybe some would go a little further and be content to have their territory or authority increased. But how many of us would continue through the next three things that Jabez requested? If any of you have had an opportunity to go online and read more about the prayer of Jabez, you might have noticed the number of people who have criticized the book by Bruce Wilkinson of this name. You remember the little book that came out? It had been some years ago. Several self-styled experts in theology have claimed that it promotes prayer that is self-focused. I've actually heard people and read where people have complained quite vociferously about the teachings of this little book. Oh, that teaches you to pray prayers that are self-focused. And when I hear that, I always smile. I deliberately haven't used the book in this series at all. I didn't want to develop the series on prayer that I'm in from this book. Rather, I wanted to hear from God what he is speaking to us as a church right now. We need a now word. Just turn to somebody and say, you need a now word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You always need a proceeding word. You can't live on word that is old and dead, that has no relevance to you. This week, I actually bought the book online, but I haven't read it. I'm going to wait until after I finish the series to read it again. I read it many years ago when it first, when it first came out. I don't remember what's in it, but I thought, I think I'm going to wait until I'm done because I want to try to just hear from God in this series. But seriously, getting back to the, the criticism, how can anyone find fault with a prayer that is taken straight from the pages of the Bible? Straight. The prayer of Jabez is lifted right out of scripture. You're going to criticize that. You're going to criticize everything in the Bible. Amen. It's also one that apparently pleased God. So how can you criticize it? We know it pleased God because the Bible said God granted him what he requested. So I, I, don't, I don't buy into all of this stuff. Truth is, is that, that I believe that God wants to bless us. And I'm going to dig into that just a little bit today. God wants to bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say, did you know that God really wants to bless you? And I emphasize the word really. He really wants to bless you. And also the truth is, is that most prayers that we pray with any measure of desperation are going to be prayers that are self-centered, won't they? I mean, seriously speaking, rather, it's Jacob saying to the angel, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That sounds kind of self-centered if you want to take that position. Or Israel crying out to God for deliverance from their Egyptian oppressors that they could inherit their promised land. Well, better watch it. That's kind of self-centered. Or Hannah praying for her to have a son. Wait, wait, time out. Time out here. Okay. Or David praying for deliverance from his enemies. Or what about this? You praying for God to heal you. When you're sick or to help you get a job, when you've been laid off, I can think of many of our prayers that are centered around things that we need God's help with. Prayer that is prayed for things like this is not an insult to God. It's an acknowledgement of the superiority of God. His greatness and our humility when we come to him, we're recognizing that, Father, we really do need the help from someone that's bigger than we are. And someone say Amen. I believe that it honors God when we go to him for the things we need. He wants to be our Jehovah Jireh. 
He wants to be that in our lives. Didn't even Jesus say that when we pray that we should pray, God give us, 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 this day, our daily bread. Don't you buy into all that stuff out there? Self-styled theologians trying to tell you how to pray and denying the very prayers that are in the Bible. And didn't Jesus' brother James teach in the epistle called by his name that if we're sick, we, I'm going to emphasize this, should call for the elders to pray for us and anoint us that we can be healed. You hear where I'm coming from? I personally think that some people trying to appear spiritually superior to the rest of us have gotten out of line theologically with the teachings of the word of God. And you know what? Religion does that pretty often if you want to know the truth. Trying to make you look all smug and spiritual and superior to everybody else. You better be careful because that's where people get off base. God wants us to pray and we often do without because we do not pray. James 4, 2, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Prayer is important. One other problem with that type of teaching is that it further discourages the many believers who already struggle to believe that God will actually hear them and believe that he really wants to answer their prayers. Many people find it very difficult to believe that God actually desires to pour out his favor and blessings upon them. He does. Second Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Don't tell me God doesn't want to bless you. He's looking for a chance to do it right now. Amen. If you were taught that God is a loving heavenly father, count yourself blessed. Because many people were not taught that at all. They were taught that God was a judge, cruel, and he will someday be judge. We're taught that he was, I was, I don't know about you, I I was taught he was more like a motorcycle policeman hiding behind the billboards, you know? Waiting to give you a ticket when you went by. It takes years to overcome that kind of negative programming and believe that God actually wants to bless us. Some years ago, a pastor shared with me an experience. He and several other pastors were in a car on their way driving to a conference together. And there was in the car an elderly pastor who had pastored many, many years and had a lot of wisdom and they all highly regarded and honored him. And the older pastor turned to these other men who had been in ministry varying lengths of time and he asked them the question. He said, guys, he said, what's the hardest single thing to teach someone when they get saved? And somebody stopped and said, I think it's to teach them to tithe. That God wants to bless them if, and open the windows of heaven if they will tithe. And congregation, I want to tell you, many people struggle with that. But until you get beyond that, you will never see the floodgates of heaven open in your life. Amen. Then secondly, somebody else said, I think, it's, I think the most difficult thing is to teach them to come to the house of God regularly. To be faithful to God's house. Because they work five days a week. And they got their stuff they want to do. And various opinions were offered. And the old guy said. No. He said. Fellows you're all wrong. Every one of you are. Those are things that, that believers need to learn. But that's not the thing that is the hardest to teach them. And they said. Well what is? And he said. The hardest thing to teach a believer is this. That God actually loves him. Whoa. 
that is profoundly true at a level that most of us cannot relate to. Usually what is behind the opposition to things like the prayer of Jabez is the idea that to some it sounds too much like the so-called prosperity gospel. And while I agree that there are those who have erred and have gone in the ditch on this whole thing and have blown it up and been a disgrace, I want you to understand they're turning God into a heavenly Santa Claus. Is, 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 while that is not theologically correct, I want you to do understand what I'm about to say. That God does want to hear your prayer. He will answer prayer. He's not somebody you go to with your Christmas shopping list. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But he wants to be the support, the foundation in your life to watch over you. The Lord wants to be your shepherd. Hear what I'm talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not say it. Won't. He takes care of your wants, not just your needs. There are many, many reasons why God desires to bless his people. And I want to give you a few of those to grow your faith. Here are just a sample of them. Number one, the Holy Scripture teaches us that it is God's will to bless his people. He wants to do it because that's just who he is. Every time that God decides to connect with someone in relationship, have you noticed the longer they walk with him, the more blessed they end up being? Oh, yes. You watch somebody get saved and they don't have all that much and they're struggling and their marriage is falling apart. And they get in the kingdom of God and begin to honor God and they're in the house of God regularly and they get teaching and they begin to honor God with their giving and all of these things. The next thing you know, they're driving a better car, living in a better house. They get promoted. I want you to know when you hook up with God, you're getting ready to be elevated. Would you, would you say amen? And that's a part of our model. You see it on the side of our building right over there. Reach, inspire, elevate. If we can reach you with the word of God, God will elevate your life by inspiring you with the principles that are in his word. You can't connect with God without your life being elevated. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham that he was going to bless him and make his name great. That was passed on to successive generations because everybody God connects with gets blessed. Psalms 23, 5 through 6, you prepare a table before me in the presence of, say it, my enemies. Say it, my enemies. And you anoint, say it, my head with oil. And say it, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I hooked up with God and he's taken me places. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. Give God a praise right now. Somebody just give God a praise break and thank him because he wants to bless you. Hallelujah to your name. Secondly, because God is our heavenly father and like any father, God wants to bless his children. That's the second reason he wants to bless you. He's our heavenly father. He wants to bless you. Luke eleven eleven. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who say it with me, ask, come on, say it, 
some things you have to ask for. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, I feel like we're getting ready to have another Holy Spirit encounter around here. Amen. Amen. I put in a call this morning to somebody that I want to bring in for another Holy Spirit encounter. Get ready. We're getting ready to have a Sunday night service. Last one we had, we had about 450 people receive the Holy Spirit in just a matter of minutes. There's no telling what God's getting ready to do in this place. Amen. Because when you ask God, he gives. Say that to your neighbor. When you ask God, he gives. The third reason that God wants to bless his people is number three. When God blesses us, we become living advertisements of his goodness. He receives glory and recognition. When God blesses you, everybody says, whoa, they got a God, don't they? Amen. God smiles on you. It brings glory to his name. Look at this, Isaiah 26, 15. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. When God increases your territory, you begin to be blessed. Guess what happens? He gets glory out of it. Here's what you need to know. God will give you his anointing, but he won't give you his glory. And when God blesses you, don't forget where it came from. Can I hear somebody say hallelujah? Don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. You hear what I'm saying? Where God's got to take it away before you realize and look up to heaven and discover where your source is at. Number four, the fourth reason that God wants to bless us is when God's people are not blessed. People use this as a reason to question the love and the commitment of God to us. Oh yes, that's what the old pastor was talking about. Because we live in a broken world and every time something happens in your life that affects you negatively, you know what the first question we ask is? The first question after all these years of me serving God, because I I know how I was raised. I was raised as a barefoot boy in the marshes of Louisiana. I shouldn't be in a pulpit like this. God has been good to me. I shouldn't have traveled to 103 nations around the world preaching the gospel. I know where he has brought me from. And yet when something bad happens, the enemy, first thing he says is, you knew it was coming because you knew you didn't deserve all this. And I have to turn around and say, liar, I'm a child of God. His hand is on my life. You're the father of lies before the world was created. He ordained me, brought me to this place. He has spoken over my life great things that are yet to be fulfilled. And I tell the devil, if you don't like what's happening right now, hang around. You're sure not going to like it later on. Oh, somebody ought to give him some praise in this house. But if you're not blessed, people use this as a reason to question the love and the commitment of God. Deuteronomy 9 and 28. God had told Moses, I'm tired of these people. I've had it with them. And Moses said, wait a minute, God, if you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them into the land he had promised to give them. Or they might say he destroyed them because he hated them. He deliberately took them into the wilderness to slaughter them. And God said, you're right, Moses, and I'm going to bless them and bless them so that everybody that looks at them knows how great I am. 
because God doesn't want you to fail. I need somebody to tell your neighbor that. God doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want your marriage to fail. He doesn't want your business to fail. I feel an anointing working in this house right now. God doesn't want your health to fail. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Every lie you have spoken, we come against it right now in Jesus' name. We speak life and liberty and freedom. The fifth reason that God wants to bless you is because he delights in hearing and answering prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3. You should remember that. 333. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now I'm having you interact with each other quite a bit, but I want you to do something else. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's getting ready to do stuff you hadn't even dreamed he would do yet. Would you do that? Now, what's the key to it? Call on me. Call on me. Call to God. I will answer. Your neighbor may not answer, but God will answer. The president may not answer, but God will answer. Do you hear what I'm saying? God said, I will answer you. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. The sixth reason that God wants to bless you is God's blessings are meant to lead us to repentance or metanoia. That's the word. The Greek word metanoia means to change our mind. Look at Romans 2 and 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing, say it with me, that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Do you not have that verse up there? Okay, that's Romans 2 and 4. The goodness of God leads you to metanoia. It leads you to change your mind. We always apply that to sinners. But Paul was writing to the church in Rome, not to unsaved people. He's writing to believers. There's some stuff you got to get rid of even after you're saved in your thinking. You got to change your mind about some stuff after you're saved. Hello, somebody. That's why Paul said you got to renew your mind. You spent all of your life being programmed in that fallen world with principles that led to, to loss and declination. You've got, you come into the kingdom now. You got to reprogram yourself with the principles. There we go again. Reach, inspire. What will the word of God elevate? When you embrace the teachings of the word of God, your life gets elevated. Can somebody in the building just say yes? You might wonder what we need to change our minds about. As I said, we usually think that means we need to change our mind about towards sin. And, and it does mean that. It does. But that's not all it means. Additionally, we must change the way we think about God. God is a good God. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He's never done you a day's wrong in your life. God is for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to elevate you. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. We've got to change the way we think about God because as I mentioned earlier, so many of us were not raised to feel this was his identity. 
If you study the book of Job, that is what the book of Job is ultimately all about. Here is a man serving God faithfully. And the enemy comes and tells God, the only reason he's serving you is because you've got a hedge around him. And God said, you don't know what you're talking about. And the devil said, oh yeah, remove the hedge. And God did. And when he did, Satan attacked Job, I mean with full force and fury. Tore his life apart, took his kids from him took his wealth from him, afflicted him with a physical ailment. He lost the honor that he had in the community. He lost his good name. His own friends came. And this is what they said. They said, for this to be happening, Job, you have to have sin. Job did not sin. You see, their idea of who God was is he'll bless you, but step across that line and zap. They didn't know anything about something called the grace of God. Amen. Oh, hear what I'm saying right now. You need God's grace in your life. You are even experiencing the grace of God before you got saved, whether you know it or not. It was the grace of God that kept you alive long enough for you to get saved. It was the grace of God that brought you through that automobile accident. There's even a theological term. It's called prevenient grace. That means the grace that comes before. I wouldn't even be here right now if the only grace I got was after I was in the church. I want you to know that God has been good to me from the time I hit planet earth. God has been good to me. I can't complain. Do you hear what I'm saying? You say, if you've never been through any stuff, you don't know what you're talking about if you think that. This morning when I came in, I saw one of our dear ladies and she told me, and she said for 10 years, it was rough. It was hard, but she said, God has blessed me and I came through it. And she's had a physical attack and she's been through some things. And I've known her for over 30 years, bless her heart. And I mean, she knew what she was saying. She said, for 10 years, it was rough. And we were talking and just then, I don't know where Roy is at, but Roy operates the cameras. And I, I pointed and I said, see that man over there? He's had eight major back surgeries and he came in on his cane. But you know what he did? He went and got those cameras to working back there. Uh, you know, some of us have been through a few things. I've been rear-ended eight times, 25 surgeries. I, I think I probably got everybody beat. But I'm still kicking and I'm still here. And I'm here by the grace of Almighty God. It's not because I'm Superman. I don't have any more strength than anybody else does. But there's something called G-R-A-C-E. I'm walking in the grace of a God that's greater than I can ever possibly be. And when you're walking in grace, he can make stuff happen that you can't make happen by yourself. God wants to bless your life. Somebody give God another praise break right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The enemy was ultimately trying to change Job's idea of who God was. He sent three of his friends. <laughs> Sometimes the worst thing you can do is listen to some of your friends. I'll do my Stevie Wonder impersonation. I don't even see you right now. I won't just sing my song. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is listen to negative people. 
their negativity will jump off on you and the next thing you know they got your thinking all messed up Job refused to allow his friends to change his image of who God was he knew God was a God of goodness and a God of grace can I hear somebody in the building shout hallelujah So the blessing of God causes us to experience metanoia. We change our minds about who he is. Our thinking is elevated to a higher plane. We come to see him more purely when he blesses us. And then number seven, God enjoys seeing his people prosper. God blesses just because he gets a kick out of seeing you get happy. Proverbs 35, 27, the B clause, let them say continually. How long do they say it? Come on, help me out. Come on, how long do they say it? How long should you say this? Continually. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. God has pleasure when you get blessed. Yes, he does. It makes the heart of God happy. I've often said, and I've got two children and seven grandchildren and two great-grandchildren now. I've often said that if you want to make me happy and you want to do something for the herds, don't do it for me. Do it for one of my kids or grandkids. Because that'll put a smile on my face that's much broader than if you were to be so kind and generous as to do something for me. How do you think our Heavenly Father feels? I shall never forget, and Jesse, if you're in the room, forgive the personal reference. Jesse Cook, precious young man, and the church, serves the church so well. Put the podcast out. We were in 100 nations before we even knew it. All 50 states, the U.S. military, all around the world. And did that absolutely free, just, just as a, a labor of love. Jesse had their first child, and I'll never, they, I'll never forget, he and his beautiful wife, they were in the prayer room at the other location, and I happened to walk through the prayer room as they were coming from the opposite direction. And Jesse had that baby, and I stopped and made over her. Of course, she's, she's a big girl now, but I mean, I mean, big girl, she's grown now. But I never will forget it, because as we were standing there together, Jesse made this statement that to me, for a moment, so pure surely reflected the heart of God. He said, Pastor, I didn't know I could love anything so much. And I don't even know where it came from, but it may have been the most profound thing that I've ever told anybody in my years of pastoring. I looked at him and I said, Jesse, now you know how God feels about you. And tears burst into his eyes. Amen. I want you to know God loves you. And when you are blessed, it makes him happy. Puts a smile on his face. Now let's look at the prayer that Jabez prayed. Because even though God desires to bless us, Jabez made it clear that he wanted God more than he wanted blessings. And I'm going to have to finish this next week. But I'll close with this. Jesse made it clear, or rather Jabez made it clear that he did not want success without God. He said, I want your hand to be with me. First Chronicles 4.10, the sea clause that your hand would be with me. That was his third request. I'm reminded of Moses who prayed as they were about to enter the promised land that God, if you don't go with us, I'm staying. I'm not moving. I don't want a promised land without you in it. And when you begin to get blessed, you fall in love with a blesser more than the blessing. And that's what happens in your life. Can somebody in the building acknowledge that? and high five your neighbor and say that's right 
Look at Exodus 35. Well, it's up there on the screen. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. You know where here was? Here was desert. Here was scorpions. Here was snakes. Here was no water. Here was soaring temperatures. This was the Arabian desert. It gets up to 120 plus in the summertime. There's no cover. And you know what Moses said? God, I'd rather stay right here that I would go to the promised land as long as I've got you with me in the wilderness. I can make it, but I don't want to be in a promised land without God in it. I want you more than I want the promise, and I feel my heart just being torn this morning. Can I go old school for just a minute? Anybody remember a singer named Luther Vandross? Anybody? Amen. Anybody remember that song? He said, I'd rather be in the storm than, uh, than how, how does it go? Help me out, somebody. I'd rather be alone, and no, I'd rather be with you in the storm than alone. The essence was in a safe place. I'm going to have to look it up for the next service. Amen. That just came to me. Oh, I feel my Luther Vandross vibes just going here right now. You know what I'm talking about? I can see some of you too. Oh, hallelujah. Look the other way a minute, Lord. Let me preach this message then. I'd rather have you in the storm than to be safe and warm by myself. There it is. I knew I'd get it. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And that's what I tell God in my prayer. And I mean it with all of my heart. I'd rather have nothing and have you that I would to have everything and not have you with me. That's what Jabez was praying. I want the hand of God to be with me. I want God to bless me more than I want the blessings. He said, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So shall we be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth? Someday I'm going to have to leave and go to my reward. Of course, that's not for about another 50 years. But when I go, I hope somebody says over me that the defining characteristic of his life was that he walked in the presence of God. Because that's what matters most to me. Amen. I want God to bless me, but I want him more than blessings. I also want his blessings to draw me close rather than to allow them to pull me away. Some people get blessed and drift away from God. They use the blessing they have received to become more independent of God rather than as a revelation of why they should lean on him even more. I want to lean on him more. You see, one of the things that I figured out in life when I was young, I mean, talking about young and needed to establish my identity and my manhood and all of that kind of stuff. I had to be strong enough to face some things by myself, right? I had to say, I can handle this. But the older I've gotten, the more I've, 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 I've learned to say, Lord, I really can't handle it without you. I need you. I need your strength. Too many believers have learned to live as though the presence of God in their lives is not important. They act as if God only is needed as a backup insurance policy for when things go wrong. Don't let that be who God is to you. God wants a relationship with us. 
He wants a relationship with us. I close with this. A week ago last night, Bishop Joseph Matera from New York City and I had a dinner here in town. Now the name might not mean anything to you, but to Christian leaders it means quite a bit. Bishop Joseph Matera is, is, is an apostolic voice to the body of Christ today. He's considered to be one of the most eminent theologians. He's very highly educated. He has a son that's written two best uh, New York Times bestseller books. I mean, the, the, the hand of God is on this man's life. He is a spiritual father, and he called. He was in town. Actually, they were here. Doug Stringer of Somebody Cares asked to use our chapel as a meeting room, and, and Bishop Matera came, and some of, Joseph's, uh, some of Doug Stringer's uh, people came, and they were in our room, and I wish everybody could have been here. I found out about it at the last minute, and I was overseas and couldn't change my schedule. But Bishop Matera was here, and he stayed, and he asked if he could have supper with me on on Saturday night. And so I flew back in and went and picked him up at his hotel. And I was very honored because as I said, he's one of the most highly regarded uh, men in the body of Christ, great spiritual father and a theologian. And when we met, this is what he said. He said, tell me about the visitation that that church had for you pastor. He said, I'm a God chaser. And I don't know why, but that just struck me so deeply because that's, that's what resonates in my spirit. We're God chasers. And he said, tell me what did you teach and preach the year before the visitation occurred? And I told him, I said, I had had an incident, a health incident. And when I recovered, the Lord spoke to me and said, this year I want you to preach the two main, main themes of Christianity. Hold up your fingers, two, okay? Two. Now you have to understand, I came from a background where there's not two, there's a hundred and two. Any of y'all come from a background like that? I'm, every one of them is a major theme. I'm not disrespecting any my background, but I just everything was a major thing. And the Lord said, I want you to preach the two major themes of Christianity. And I was flabbergasted. I'd been in ministry for years. And I said, what do you mean two? What are they, Lord? And he said, they're very simple. They're knowing Christ and making him known. That's the two major themes of Christianity. And I figured it out. That if you know Christ, all that other stuff, that falls into line anyway. It does. Because if you really know him, there's some stuff you, I don't want that. It's inferior to knowing him. Why am I going to waste my time? If I can have a Rolls Royce, why do I want to beat up old Ford Pinto? You know what I'm talking about. If you ever owned a Pinto, I'm not making fun of you. Amen. And that whole year, I only spoke on this one thing. Some of you were here knowing Christ. I never did get around to this part of it about making him known. And later, after that visitation occurred, I asked the Lord, Lord, why didn't you let me move forward to the part about making you known? And he smiled. I sensed this in his spirit, and I felt him say to me, uh, don't worry, son. If anybody ever knows me, they can't help but make me known. Amen. They can't help but make me known. They're like Jarius. Remember Jairus, whose daughter had died, 12 years of age, and Jesus said, don't you say a word. And Jairus said, I promise, cross my heart. Jesus went out the front door. Jairus went out the back telling everybody he could see what Jesus, you can't keep some stuff quiet. When God blesses you, you got to tell somebody. You got to, you got to inform somebody. Hello. When he becomes real to you, you got to make him known. Stand with me across the congregation because I'm done today.